And I'd like you to imagine with me, if you would, that as we sit here in service, emergency officials came rushing into the back of our service, interrupted our service, and said to us that there's been a derailment of a train. You know, we have a train rail that comes right here behind the church back into the industrial park back here. They said there's been a derailment of a train car. It's tipped over. It's filled with chemicals. And if you breathe the fumes of those chemicals, they could be fatal. However, they do have a remedy. You can put on a breathing mask and you can stay inside and you will be okay. People in this building, Lori and I talked about it. I said, how do you think people would respond? And so we talked about three different ways that we thought people would respond. There's some people who would just panic and freak out. They would, ah, you know, and get all nervous and want to run a run out to their car and get away as fast as they could. There's another group of people who would listen to the experts, as it were, who would heed advice. They would take the mask, they'd put the mask on. They would abide by the guidelines that have been established and they would stay inside there's another group of people who would just say, oh, I don't know if I believe that. Let's go check it out. There's another group of people, they would want to be looking out the door. They would put on their mask for a few moments, but after a few moments, they would say, I don't know if I really need this mask. This mask is kind of restrictive, fogs up whenever I, whenever I breathe in it, and, and I don't know if I need this mask. And I said, well, honey, what do you think I would do? She said, well, you would put on your mask, and you would help everybody else, and then you would take off and go outside and try to get as close to it as you could. And she said, you probably would not go alone. She said, I could see you taking people like Kramer and Tobin. And I was thinking, if you know Kramer and Tobin, you are probably right. And I thought about that. I was like, man, I don't, that's not a good thing about me. It's good to help other people, but I was kind of psychoanalyzing myself when she said that because that's probably what I would want to do. I want to read this verse, and I want you to think about this before we read it. Which of these groups would you fall into? If something like this happened, I would hope this. If an emergency like that happened, hopefully we would want to protect as many other people as we could. We'd want to warn as many people as we could. We'd want to provide them with materials that would save their lives. And there would be certain people that you would be looking for. If an emergency like that happened, there would be certain people who you would be looking for. You would be looking for your kids, your spouse, your friends, your neighbors. Specific people would come to your mind who you feel are vulnerable there would be specific people who you would say, I hope Sonny's okay. I hope this person is okay. I hope that person is okay. People would be on their phone. They would be calling their family members to make sure they know what is going on and that they are prepared. And if you didn't hear from them and you didn't know that they were safe, there's a lot of people who would put on their mask and they would go out looking for them. You could not stop them because that's who they are. That is what they do. Years ago, it's funny, I remember we were out boating one time, and Frankie was with me, and a storm came up. It was like Gilligan's Island. A storm came up, and the boat filled with water and flipped over, and it was a lightning storm. And it was funny how the first thing that came to my one of the first things that came to my mind when that happened was I was saying, oh, thank you, God, that the kids aren't here. Because a lot of times when we go boating, I'd take my kids and, and other people who had kids, and I remember just saying, thank you, God 
that the kids aren't here. Thank you, God, that the kids aren't here. I watched in my friend who owned the boat. He was busy collecting all of his valuables. And he was like, oh, no. And he was putting his things in, his, in the bag. And he was collecting all of his stuff. And I know what was important to him. He showed us that day what was important to him. His stuff was important to him. And I remember thinking, the guys who were with me, I was thinking, God, I can't go home without these guys because they have wives and kids. And what will we say to their wives and kids? And Frankie's like a dolphin. Frankie dove in and he was gone. It's amazing. He, Frankie had been good for the swim team. It's amazing what comes through your mind in moments of, I don't want to say tragedy, but in moments of distress, in moments of emergency situations, unexpected situations, it's emergencies and things like that. It's amazing what comes to our mind. I read a statement this week that said, the words of Jesus are not always comfortable. They are always true, but they are not always comfortable. Some of Jesus' sayings are very sobering. They compel us to pause, evaluate, and consider. Listen to these words. I believe that they will do just that for you today. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Why don't you read out loud with me, if you would? I'd like you all to do that. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. Now, we've been doing a series on evangelism entitled We Are the Church. And this week, our message is entitled We Are the Church, but not everyone is going to make it in. What a sobering thought that in churches across America and here today, we are the church, but here's the reality. There is a very real possibility that there will be people within the sound of my voice that will not make it in when Jesus comes for his church. What a scary, what a sobering thought. What a scary thought that you have, that your children and your grandchildren and your brothers and your sisters, that the scripture says that many will say to him on that day, Lord, Lord, and he's going to say away from me, you evildoer, I never knew you. Jesus makes this very clear to us. I believe that the verse we just read is one of those that should motivate us to reach out to others should motivate us to do the will of the Father, should motivate us to live and go with the heart after God and go after God with all of our hearts. One of the things that we don't want to do, we are not a people who point a finger at others and pick out their faults and their sins and their inadequacies. That's not what this message is about. It's not about saying, oh, I'm perfect. Everybody else is somehow far from God. We have the secret and no one else does. But Jesus himself said that there's going to be a couple who do it. No, he says there's going to be many who say to him, Lord, Lord. And they are going to be surprised on that day. Jesus says that not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, not everyone who claims with their mouth their devotion to him, truly are devoted to him, 
and are going to make it in. In fact, he says that there will be many who are expecting admission, but will be rejected. These people come up to him expecting admission. This is not written about people who are, quote, not spiritual or not religious. He says this is about, this is not about the person. You know, there's a lot of people who if you ask them today, do you believe in God? They say, well, I do, but I know where I'm headed. They will be straight up and honest with you. I'm not going to heaven. They will be completely honest. They are not expecting to spend eternity with God. This is written about people who are expecting. They're believing. They're saying, Lord, Lord. They're expressing verbally their devotion to him. And yet they are far from him. If we look at the previous verses, we would see that after presenting the true way of access into his anticipated kingdom, Jesus gave a warning about false prophets. He refers to these advocates of the broad way. He says there's a narrow way and there's a broad way. The narrow way, few there be that find it. The broad way, there's many that walk the broad way. He referred to these advocates of the broad way as ferocious wolves who appear harmless as sheep. How can one determine the character of false teachers? We need only to look at the fruit they produce. Grapes and figs do not grow on thorn bushes or thistles. Good fruit trees produce good fruit. Bad fruit trees produce bad fruit. In Jesus' evaluation, the Pharisees were obviously producing bad fruit. The only thing to do with bad trees is to cut them down and throw them in the fire. If they do not fulfill their purpose for existence, they would be removed, they were to be destroyed. Those hearing this sermon must have wondered about the religious leaders who seemed to be good men, upright, teaching spiritual truths about Messiah and his kingdom. And Jesus made it clear that they were not good, for they were leading other people astray. Even if they were seen doing supernatural deeds, prophesying in his name, driving out demons in his name, and performing many miracles, and they were not obedient to the Father, continually doing his will, even if they could prophesy, cast out demons, and perform miracles, but they were not obedient to the Father, not living in accordance with his will, they would be refused admission to the kingdom because Jesus had no personal relationship with them. According to the verses that we just read, who does Jesus say will enter into the kingdom of heaven? Look back at the verses and I want you to see that. Who enters the kingdom? What's the key word? I'm looking for a key word in there. Only, only the one. Only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. This is not me talking. This is Jesus' words to his church. This is his warning to the people. His warning is that false prophets are going to rise. They're going to deceive many. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of many is going to wax cold. Jesus says that for the sake of the elect, he'll shorten the days. Okay, for the sake of the elect, and that even if it were possible, even the very elect would be deceived if they are not careful, if they are not on their guard. 
But I think that verse is such so important to us. Jesus said that only the ones who does the will of his Father who is in heaven, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, winner of the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Only that one will enter his kingdom. Notice what he says, he'll say to them, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. What's an evildoer? It's one who practices iniquity. It's one who continues in sin, in disobedience against God. And according to these verses, who does Jesus say will enter in the kingdom? The one who does the will. Jesus says that there's going to be many who are going to say to him on that day, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons and perform many miracles in your name? These are things that we would all be amazed by. Surely these are signs of spirituality. But Jesus says, if you claim his name, they say, Lord, Lord. It sounds like they're really devoted. It's not just Lord, Lord, Lord. Those who claim his name and those who perform miraculous signs and those who are involved in church or involved in what we would say is ministry, surely those are signs of spirituality. But Jesus says, even if you do these things and continue in a lifestyle practicing evil, they will not enter into his kingdom. Notice he says, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Second Timothy chapter 2 Verse 19, if you had turned there with me, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19, it says this. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription. The Lord knows those who are his. Aren't you glad for that? The Lord knows those who are his. And everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. When we share the gospel, the good news of God's abundance grace, we must also call people to turn away from sin. When we preach this message of God's amazing love and of this blood that was shed to cover our sins, we must also share the message of repentance, refusing, saying no to ungodliness, turning away from wicked lifestyle. Many times people are happy that folks are going to church. And that's a good start. We get excited when people start saying the right things. Oh man, that's encouraging. You don't know what it's like for a pastor whenever someone, you start hearing them talking what like they're supposed to talk. It's like, praise God. You feel energized. You feel encouraged whenever you start hearing people. They start talking about the Lord and saying things about the Lord. And you're like, praise God. Thank you, Jesus. You feel like it's progress. We're moving in the right direction. But even that is not enough. There must be a turning away from wickedness and a turning away from ungodliness. So let me make this plain to you. And let me be to the point. I'm telling you, people can come to Lighthouse and have their hearts touched. They can like singing the songs. And they get to the point where Man, I, I like that song. You know, you'll see them come in there first. They stand back a little bit. After a while, they're singing. And then after you look back, maybe you see them raising a hand. You're like, wow, praise the Lord. You know, you see them closing their eyes and kind of waving a little bit with the music. 
You're like, wow. Or you see them kneeling down during a thing. and Oh. So you're looking outside. You're looking at these. You know, you see them clapping at the songs. This is exciting, God. But I'm telling you, people can walk in our doors and they can sway to the music and they can raise their hands and you can even see a tear come down their face. You can even see a tear come down their face. Occasionally see them walk up to an altar and kneel before the Lord at an altar. And it moves us and it encourages us. And we get excited about that. And that's a great start. And perhaps they've said a few prayers. But if they are still living as the Lord of their lives, they are in danger. They can volunteer for every event. And there again, as the church, we get excited. Here comes Joe Blow off the street, Joe Schmo. He comes off the street and, and he comes in and he's far from God. And he you know, has no religious background. And he starts sitting and you see him once in a while and then you start seeing him every week. Wow. Hey, he's there every week and that's good. You see him start to pray and all those things that I said. But if they continue as being the Lord of their lives... They are still in danger. They can confess Jesus. Yes, I believe that Jesus died on the cross. The Bible says that even the demons believe and tremble. They believe, they say, I believe that Jesus died upon the cross. They can volunteer for events and for ministry. But if they're not turning away from wickedness, they are in danger of being the one who says, Lord, Lord, but doesn't enter into his kingdom. You know, while we live in this body, you and I are going to be tempted. And we're going to fight against our sinful nature. But you and I need to be concerned for our loved ones who call themselves by the name of Jesus Christ, yet still live as if Satan is their master. That still surrender every time he calls. They answer and reply to his beck and call. Whenever I started dating Lori, one of the things is there comes a certain place in your relationship where if this is going to go any further, this needs to be you and me. Not you and me and other people. Not you and me. Oh, well, hey, there's a handsome fellow over there. Well, if you want him, you go ahead. You roll on because I'm not looking for that. Can you imagine if you start date? you know, these young people who start dating, they start dating their girlfriend and, and, and the girl, they see their boyfriend out with someone else. She'd be like, well, what are you doing? I thought this was us. In our relationship with God, The scripture says that we're not to have any other gods before him. There needs to be nothing that's of higher value. Our devotion, when you come into relationship with God, whenever you get married, when you start getting serious in dating relationship, there comes a point where you say, for us to go any further, there can't be anybody else involved. This is you and me. Or else we don't really have a relationship. We really don't have that. And in our relationship with God, there's sometimes, there's so many people today who want to have God in their lives, but they want all the other things of this world. They are spiritual adulterers. That's what Israel was called on the carpet for again and again from God. Again and again, God called them because they said they were devoted to God and yet they chased after the things of this world. Listen to what this scripture says. Therefore, in verse Matthew seven twenty four. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And when the rain came down, the streams rose and the winds blew and beat up against this house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine 
and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Those who fail to repent, those who come into church and sway with the music and put in a couple dollars in the offering plate, and attend an extra class once in a while, but fail to repent and turn from ungodliness, will be like the folks in Noah's day. Remember in Noah's day, they mocked him as Noah preached righteousness, and they mocked him and they scoffed him. But the scripture says that there came a point where God shut the door. When God shuts the door, there comes a certain point in time where it is no longer, today is a day of God's grace. Aren't you thankful for that? Today is a day of open heavens above us where when people can hear the word of the Lord, they can turn from their wickedness, they can turn from their sin, and they can turn to God. But there's coming a day, and the funny thing is there's coming an ultimate day. There's coming an ultimate day when that will happen. But it happens in people's lives. We see it again and again. There comes a day in people's lives where God turns them over at times, to a reprobate mind, that they just do what their sinful nature wants to do. There comes a time where God will no longer strive with man, the scripture says. That's one of the things that always concern me is saying, God, I want to please you. I want to serve you. I I want to do your will. And we're not talking about people living in fear. Here's the thing. If you are living in blatant disobedience to God, in our world today, you know, you can come to church and you can still be married and have your girlfriend on the side. That's what it is in many churches today. You can have your mistress. You say that your lovers are the one who care for you. I'm the one who cares for you. I'm the one who takes care of you. And so we live in a world today where people can live in immorality and live together and they think it's okay. That people can be immoral and they think it's okay that they can lie and cheat and have a lifestyle of that, a lifestyle of stealing, a lifestyle of immorality, a lifestyle of sin. And think that God is okay with it because they come to church, because they said a prayer a while back, because they're a church member. Jesus said that there's going to be many who are deceived. And I don't care what church, if they come to Lighthouse, if they come to the church down the street, according to Jesus' words, he says there's going to be many who have been deceived, who are expecting to get gain entrance into his kingdom, and he's going to shake his head and say, away from me, you evil doer, I never knew you. We need to be concerned about our friends and our family members, our children, our grandchildren, our parents, our brothers and sisters, our neighbors, who claim the name of Jesus Christ, but continue to live in disobedience to his word. They're in danger. They are in horrible, horrible danger. And the reality of it is this, that there's many who are lulled to sleep, deceived, thinking all is well because I go to church. All is well because I volunteer in the cafe or volunteer to help with an outreach or I'll come and I'll come and help paint the church. Surely that will make me okay. And yet Jesus says that he's going to say to that person, depart from me, you worker of iniquity, you evildoer. When we repent, there needs to be true repentance. When you see your family member When you see your brother or sister, you know, in our society today, the only thing that's wrong in our society is calling sin, sin. Everything else is okay. Everything else is acceptable. The only thing that our society will say is wrong 
is to say that something else is sinful or it's wrong. That's what our society is. I mean, you can do pretty much anything you want other than say, that's not acceptable according to God's law. That's not acceptable according to God's word. In Luke chapter 17, verse 26, it said this, just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. People will be drinking, eating, drinking, marrying, and being given in marriage. Up to the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. It is the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking and buying and selling, planting and building. But the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. It'll be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. It says that people are going to be so busy going through their lives, and that's exactly how it's going to be on the day that the Son of Man is revealed. What's the importance of this, of this message? The importance of this message is first this, calling the church to repentance. There many people that sit in churches across America. They do partial things right. They'll pick and choose what they want to obey. We pick and choose. Well, well sure, I'll give money to the church. Sure, I'll give you my tithe. Well, sure, God, I'll... Swearing? Yeah, that's all right. I'll quit doing that. We pick and choose what we say that we want to do. And what we have is we have a generation that's growing up and they see mom and dad. They see the church person and they look at them and they say, well, they're a Christian. They're so-and-so and they're a Christian. They're okay. It's only the grace of God. Listen, it's only the grace of God that delivers us from these habits, from these addictions. It's only the grace of God that keeps us from falling. It's only the mercy of God. But you and I have to continually throw ourselves on his mercy and say to him, God, if you don't deliver me, you know what my flesh is like. You know what my old man is like. If you don't deliver me, I will be caught in a trap. I will be ensnared by the enemy. But God, I'm looking towards you. My focus and my my attention is upon you and upon the cross and what you've done for me on Calvary. And I'm going to say no to ungodliness. I'm going to say no to the old way of living. I'm going to allow you to change me. Not say, oh, it's okay. And not justify my sin because what can happen is your heart and my heart can become hard and calloused. And we can become deceived because the scripture says in the last days, there's going to be many There's going to be false prophets who arise and deceive many. There's going to be false prophets and false teachers who are going to pat you on the back and say, you're cheating your boss every day. It's okay. No, no big deal. You're holding bitterness in your heart and resentment. Oh, it's okay. I know how you feel. No big deal. You're disobeying what God asks of you. God's asking something of you. And you say no. Whatever he asks of you, whatever he asks you to lay down or to pick up, and you say no, really is you're the God of your life when you do that. I'm the God of my life when I do that. It's idolatry. Idolatry is as bad as witchcraft. Having some other God. And so what we're calling today is we're calling for us as the church that if there's things in your lives that don't line up with his word, that you fall upon his mercy today. God, I need you. That we confess those things. We confess our faults one to another and pray for one another that we may be healed. That we confess, that we go to somebody and we say, you know what, I have a habit of, and you can fill in the blank, I'm struggling with, 
I messed up in some way. That we confess those things and we bring those things into the light. And the thing is, is this, whenever we battle with sin, even if you come to a place where you say every day, God, see, it should be a battle against sin. It shouldn't be a surrender to sin. You may struggle with an attitude or unforgiveness or bitterness or pride or selfishness or greed or whatever it is. Even if every day you have to get up and get on your knees. You know, the alcoholic, one of the things about the alcoholic is every day they pray a prayer. God, deliver me. Every day, God, you know, I offer myself to you to do with as thou will. Deliver me of the bondage of self that I may better serve you. And so even if you got to get up every day, and say to the Lord, Lord, I need you, God, I need you to help me one more day. One more time, Lord, would you deliver me? One more time, would you guide me? One more time, Lord, would you strengthen me? Even if we got to get up every day and do that, you and I need to fight against the old man that wants to come in and take over and rule and reign in our lives. And the other thing we need to do, we need to be praying for, when you see things that don't line up with the word of God, Here's so-and-so. The scripture says that the liar, the thief, is not going to make it in. The drunkard's not going to make it in. Your kids are out getting drunk on Saturday night and wanting to come to church on Sunday. You need to be concerned. I'm going to say something. You need to be concerned about their eternal souls. Because the Bible says the drunkard's not going to enter into the kingdom. Maybe God's going to make an exception for yours. Maybe God's going to make an exception for all of your lies. If he's a just God, scripture says he's not going to do that. The important thing is this. That you and I, when we see those things, that we don't just believe what the world is trying to teach us and shove upon us. That you can live any way that you want. And we say, well, you know, they just have a little different conviction than me. If the word says don't lie and they're lying, it makes them a liar. I'm sorry. I'll tell you, someone who's not a liar, God is not a liar. And the scripture says God will not be mocked. Whatever a man sows, so shall he also reap. And so as the church, this is what I want to say to you. It's not old style. It's not old school to hold to God's standards of righteousness and holiness and obedience. That's not old school. That's new school. That's for today. And so whenever you see those things, I want to encourage you to begin to pray for that person. Don't hate them gossip about them. I want to encourage you to begin to pray for them and ask God to bring back that Holy Spirit conviction that moves upon their heart, that softens their heart, that once again, they will hear his voice. Also pray, God, show me my areas, Lord, where I'm blind. And then here's the other thing. You need to stand up for righteousness. If it's a family member, if it's a friend, after you've prayed, according to scripture, privately, after we've prayed, we need to have a talk with some of our kids. We need to have a talk with our brothers and sisters and say, what I'm seeing, I love you. What I'm seeing does not line up. Here's what the scripture says. You can be mad at me. You can be upset with me. I have enough problems of my own. But what I'm seeing here does not line up with what the scripture says. And I'm concerned about that and I care about you. The scripture says that we can restore a brother We can restore a sister. It doesn't mean that you chase down every person, but you listen to what the Holy Spirit says, and there's going to be people who God will put upon your heart that you are to speak to them directly, privately, and confront them. And throughout the Scripture, we see that again and again. And we say to them, what are you doing? What's happening here? And you know what I believe? I believe as we do that, I believe that the Holy Spirit will bring conviction in people's lives. And that we can see the tide changed in this nation. 
But if the church sits by, crosses our arms and shuts our mouth while sin goes on, there's other people who are watching. There's young people who are growing up and they're watching it and they're saying, well, it's okay. It's okay. Again and again throughout scripture, God's called godly men and women to call people to repentance. And that's been what turned the tide. I pray that as a church that we would be called to repentance, that we would realize that we'd say, you know, not everyone who says to him, Lord, Lord's going to make it, but only the ones who does the will of the Father who's in heaven. Father, I pray your blessing upon this congregation. I ask you, Father, that you would open up hearts and minds and eyes and ears to discern what the Holy Spirit would say. God, I pray for the sin that so easily besets, Lord, the things that would trap us, the weights that slow us down. I ask you, Father, that you would put supernaturally, that you would put in the hearts of this people a hatred for sin, a disdain for it, Lord, an unwillingness to tolerate it in our lives, not in everybody else's, God, but in our lives first. Lord, as you do that, would you overwhelm us with your heart and your love for those who are lost and for those who are being deceived? Lord, again and again, you warn about don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Again and again, you warn us about the last days. Things will grow worse and worse and people will be, they'll have itching ears. They'll want someone to tell them what they want to hear. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that there would be just mass repentance, God. Mass repentance and a mass turning towards you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Let it begin in my heart, Lord. Rid me of anything, everything that slows me down, Lord. Everything that would trap me, would try to deceive me, God. Lord, we ask for your grace and your mercy. And God, I pray that we be truly devoted to you. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.